0: This is Jonathan David Katz, and I'm standing in the exhibition that I co-curated with David Ward, Hide, Seek, Difference and Desire in American Portraiture. This is an exhibition that attempts to cross the gulf between knowledge and acknowledgement. Every picture in this room, indeed in the entire exhibition, has been in a museum before, has been publicly exhibited. There is nothing new on the wall. What is new is the way we're talking about it because each of these works talks about aspects of sexual difference, and that is new. That has never been addressed. In this room, which is the inaugural room of the exhibition, we can get a real sense of how powerfully the past is distant from us. The codes that govern the representation of sexuality here um, are very different from what we are familiar with today. And in fact, the very organization of sexuality in this period, roughly 100 years ago, is very different than our contemporary one. This shows us how much we need to understand a different world in order to understand the representation of sexuality in the past. In the George Bellows behind me, we see an example of the social codes of this distant moment. There are two men in a scene of a bathhouse, it's called shower bath, and in that Front and center is a homoerotic encounter. One man, a lascivious caricature, looking back over his shoulder and thrusting his buttocks to a a heavy-set man, much more sort of traditionally masculine, who betrays his excitement with a towel-covered erection. The two men, front and center, in a homoerotic encounter are strange even to our eyes today. How could that have happened in 1917? Well, it happened precisely because, in 1917, the social codes governing homosexuality were very different. Today, we understand the homosexual as someone who's interested in someone of the same sex. But in 1917, the, the operative category was instead um, not the gender of your sexual partner, but your own gender in the act of intimacy. If you behaved in accordance with your gender, you were straight without regard to with whom you did it. If instead you took on another gender role in a sexual activity, then you were queer. So there's a queer and a straight in this picture. And what's interesting about that is that by definition at the time, two queers could not have been in relationship. One needed, right, the straight guy in order to fulfill that erotic possibility. And so whereas today we have gay and lesbian culture very often creating its own autonomous neighborhoods and cultural venues, at this historical moment, gay and straight were necessarily interwoven. And that's why in this room we're going to see repeatedly images of gay and and straight life so interwoven as to be completely unfamiliar to us today. We can see that in other images, most notably in the large Bellows behind me, where we see a scene of a riverfront frolic. This is, of course, New York. These are working class kids. And Bellows, who was known as an an Ashcan school social realist, Ashcan school precisely because he believed in showing us the most, according to the traditions of the time, the most discarded elements of society, immigrants, Jews, and queers. And in this image, we see a lot of mothers bringing and dropping off boys. We see boys skinny dipping in the river. A sea, in fact, of naked male flesh, often youthful flesh. And everybody is belong, belongs there. Everybody's position there is motivated, save one figure. And he's wearing a top hat and gloves and a black suit. And he's a dandy. And he's just there to watch. Bellows remarkably aware of the dynamics of eroticism in the new urban spaces. Behind me as well, you'll see an image by Liondecker, an image, in fact, of his partner, Charles. Charles is included in almost all of Liondecker's images of the Arrow Sherp Man, his great invention, one of the icons of 20th century advertising. Um, What to our eyes seems very much like a homoerotic domestic scene was to the eyes of the people simply of the people of the time, simply a scene of men at their club. But I'm particularly interested in the representation of women in this room. Precisely because this was a moment in which the representation of women was freighted with a very different politic and possibility. There's greater latitude to show women talking to each other, touching each other. And in so doing, they don't necessarily bespeak same-sex desire, lesbian eroticism or relationship. So the question becomes, how do you show that these women are more than just friends? Paradoxically, Cecil Beaton chose to separate Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas, the the twin partners in his image in order to suggest their relationship, and he beautifully drops this electrical wire between them as if to electrify the empty space between these two figures. Likewise, Berenice Abbott, in trying to imagine an iconography of lesbianism, remarkably develops a mode whereby she takes the mask that would presumably cover the face of someone in the closet and puts it on their top hat, and not just one mask, but two. Be speaking the twinned identities. But even more compellingly, we must remember that she did this in advance of the metaphor of the closet. So she's inventing the very pictorial vocabulary that would inform representations of same-sex desire for decades to come.